that is not with Jason, I should say. Let everything that is me fall away. And I pray that your word would speak clearly and loudly to us. We thank you for your presence. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I, I had a great week. I'm telling you right now, I had, a, I had a wonderful week. I had a lot of good meetings with new people here at 6A, just hearing their stories. And I was just really overwhelmed with how God is moving. So um, uh, we are spending a few weeks now uh, sort of looking at our purpose as individuals and also as the collective church through the lens of different personalities in Scripture, right? And uh, you've, you've uh, probably heard the word linchpin, right? Meaning that thing that holds everything together. You know, a linchpin being that one pin that goes into the axle of a cart or, you know, something with wheels on it. Um, and, and, and it keeps it rolling. It keeps it going. You know, without the linchpin, nothing works, right? The wheels fall off the whole cart, but with the linchpin, it all works. It all comes together, and you can actually be mobile. You can do something, right? Uh, Philippian, or I'm sorry, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we've been using quite a bit in this sermon series and, you know, in past as well, but Matthew, 18, 28, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is the linchpin passage, or at least one of them, for understanding our purpose as Christians in the local body of Christ, Right? And we have said that it is his last command, which is our first concern. And I'm drilling that into your little brains, you know. (laughs) I want you to remember that phrase, his last command, our first concern, and that is related to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Uh, We cannot be cloudy as believers concerning our purpose, and our purpose is, Drum roll, right? Our purpose is God's glory and God's mission as it's related to this passage. God's glory and God's mission. So the question is, uh, why does the local church even exist or even matter? And here's a, here's a secret. It's not just about community, right? That's like our catchword these days. It's not just about community. God instituted the church. He instituted the church, chose to work through it to reveal his glory to the world. And in that, he has given his people a very, very great purpose in life, right? So without a purpose larger than ourselves, right? Without a purpose larger than ourselves, there'd be no use in talking about all this spiritual transformation, which we talk about at 6-8. Change for change's sake is useless, it must be towards a greater purpose, right? It must be driving to something, which is God's glory and God's mission of reaching all nations, all peoples, right? So if heaven, like fire insurance Christianity, if heaven is the only, the only goal of the gospel, then discipleship is only an option. I don't really have to walk with Jesus, right? But heaven is not our ultimate goal. That's not our goal right? God's glory and God's mission are our goal, right? There's something lacking in our walk if we don't grow and we don't engage in the making of disciples in the world. There's something very lacking. Christy, uh, Chuck's wife, said in our community group this last week, she said it really well. She said that discipleship is reproductive, it's reproducing your faith in other people. It's not just for leadership, 
right? It's not just for clergy, but it's for all Christians to engage in. And it's actually an act of love. I don't know if you remember, uh, I've, I've quoted the guy before, but Penn and Teller, Penn from that comedy duo, magic comedy duo said, he goes, I don't trust any Christian that doesn't share, his, share the gospel with me. Why would you think you have the answer to all of life and never share the gospel with me? That's ridiculous. And he's an atheist, right? I agree with him, right? It's an act of love to be making disciples out of, out of, uh, of other people. You know, it's been said the local church is the hope of the world. And that is not because we're all that, right? It's not because we have a great community or great worship or, or rousing sermons or, you know, all the money in the world to help bail people out of this, whatever debt they're in or all of that, which we don't, you know. Just want to make that clear. We're not, like a, we're not the bank. But, uh, but rather, it is because of two reasons. One is that we are the bearers of truth. I know that sounds arrogant, but it's not. We are the bearers of truth as we proclaim Jesus crucified and resurrected. We, we own the story. It's ours to tell. Number two, we are the extension of Jesus' body in the world, revealing his love and his glory uh, in action towards other people as we walk through life with them. All for God's glory in, in reconciling all people groups to the world, his mission, right? You know, Jesus mentions the church on a few occasions in the New Testament as a tool of the kingdom of God, a mechanism to bring about his kingdom initiatives in the world, his purposes, his desires. And we see this in Matthew 16, 18 through 19, where Jesus says he's going to build the church, right? He's going to build the church and not in, he says this to Peter, right? And not even hell will, will overcome it. And that the church, and this is, this is kind of crazy too. The church is the holder of the king, the, the keys of the kingdom. That's big news. Jesus preached the kingdom of God, right? Kingdom come now on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he preached, right? That we can actually experience the kingdom of God somewhat right now, but it's going to come fully later, right? Jesus preached this kingdom of God constantly, and he set in motion the local church. Not just the church as a big hole, but the local church, because the kingdom of God births the church, and the church is the tool of the kingdom of God. So you've got an important role to bring about God's glory and God's mission. The kingdom reign of God. Peace, what everybody's looking for, right? The ultimate hope, the ultimate goal. Uh, it's natural for those of us who have understood this in the past to actually experience a little mission drift or purpose drift, right? To forget what it's all about, to become misguided in the purpose of the church or in the purpose of our lives in Christ. See, our focus tends to, to fixate or, or shift to buildings and programs and forms of worship and community and, and even sometimes personality worship, right? Or people that we put on a pedestal. Rather than us existing for the glory of God and the mission of God as we walk life out. You know, and there are some uh, who are totally unconcerned about this, <laughs> right? God bless you. I'm glad you're here. I really am. I'm not, I, I don't want you to feel bad. If you're totally unconcerned about any of this stuff, but yet you still come to church, that is wonderful, right? That's great. I hope the Spirit breaks through in a person like that. 
that you're around long enough that it rubs off on you, that, that, bef- that you can belong here before you believe. That's okay. That is very okay. Sticking around long enough, running the risk of actually becoming a people, who, a person who actually cares, a person who actually adopts this Jesus thing and wants to see it uh, propagated out into the world, right? A, purpose, a person of God's purpose. That's the risk you run. That's, it's, Jesus could overturn your world. <laughs> he could screw up everything for you. He did for me. I was, I was voted most likely to be this, an assassin in high school. <laughs> right? I wasn't going to George Jesus. Right? It wasn't until 21 until God overturned my world. Right? I was just a little bit of... But I wouldn't have been that. But, you know. But I did, I did have this strange respect for made men. I was like, wow, I wish I was an Italian. You know? <laughs> I could never be made, but I could be a hitman. You know? Anyway, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, where, where was I? Hold on. Uh, yeah. So the question for us is, the question for us is, how do we glorify God in all that we do in light of his mission? How do we glorify God in all that we do in light of his mission? By the way, these are heavy subjects. Let's have a sense of humor too, right? I'm not saying like, oh, run around like, you got to accept Jesus. You know, be lighthearted. God is, God loves people. That's, there's a lighthearted, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, sense of humor about that, right? But how do we glorify God in light of his mission, right? In, in, in all that we do. It means that we, what we do and how we live, how we choose to live is very important. They're very important. And all that must drive towards God's glory and mission. So our worship should drive that way, which I believe it does. God has blessed us with wonderful people on the worship team, right? Our teaching should drive that way. God's blessed us with an incredible pastor who <laughs> preaches rousing. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kind of kidding. <laughs> no. Our prayer ministry should drive that way, which Rachel has done a great job in leading, Right? And like Kim said, our children's ministry should drive that way towards God's purpose and glory. Because we remember, here at 6-8, we like to say everything is spiritual, and it is. Everything is spiritual. Everything forms us spiritually. What it forms us to is the question, right? Towards Christ-likeness, leading to God's glory, being about God's mission, or towards something else. You can be spiritually formed in a bad way, right? Because things can look great, things can feel great, right? About, you know, life and all that kind of stuff. But if they're not driving towards God's desires, it's ultimately damaging. Even if it's just that it keeps me dumb and sort of unengaged. God's work, what we find out is God's work needs to be done God's way. It needs to be driven at God's way. So we exist in all that we do to glorify God as, as his people. We, we build each other up. We equip the saints, so to speak, for the glory of God and his mission to reach the world. So at the end of the day, each of us has to be able to sit here and say, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus' hopes, Jesus' desires for the world and what he wants to do with us. And if we can get to that point, 
If we can sit here and say that, we will start to make decisions like we've seen Moses and Nehemiah make in past weeks towards God's glory and towards God's mission, asking the question in everything that we do, would greater glory be given to God and his mission be extended if we do A, B, or C? If I choose this, that, or the other thing. And if we don't understand our purpose... There's no reason to change. But when we get a vision bigger than ourselves, we're willing to sacrifice everything to get there. Suffering means something then, right? And so today we're going to look, that was a big intro, right? Today we're going to look at Peter. Believe me, I'm not going to go long. Uh, Well, usual long. But um, today we're going to look at Peter and the other apostles centering on one verse, Acts chapter 5, verse 29, where it says, but Peter and the apostles replied... We must obey God rather than men. That's worth a second. We must obey God rather than men. You know, obedience to Jesus sounds very pious, sounds very wonderful, you know, so so spiritually lofty. Yet in reality, anybody that's tried to, to walk in obedience with Jesus it, it realizes that it often leads to relational dis- dissonance or difficulty, right? It, it, it leads to sometimes confrontations and oppression even when we actually want to do God's work God's way. Like we said last week, some, you know, we, we come up against spiritual attack and opposition and, and without the greater, deeper purpose of God's glory and God's mission, we won't endure that very long. We'll endure it for a little while, but it gets old pretty quick. If you use the Lexio Divino journals, but by the way, there's like six or seven over there that are still free. Take them. Uh, it's worth it. Uh, but if you use the Lexio Divina journals and you were doing it this week through the, um, I, I forget which day it was, you may have read Psalm 120. I did it. And uh, verses 5 through 7 really struck me there. And I shared it with some guys this week. But it says, Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech. And Meshech is this idea of being scattered out in a foreign land. Right? You're, you're living among foreigners. That I live among the tents of Kadar. Right? And Kadar is this idea of the places of darkness. That I live out in the places of darkness. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace. And when I speak, they are for war. Doesn't it feel like that? Doesn't life feel like that right now in our current political crazy climate of of America? In the cultural climate of America? Things feel sometimes dark and foreign. And everybody's just angry. And you're just sitting there saying, Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to bring peace and joy and fulfillment to your life. And they're like, rawr, rawr, rawr. you know, and you're like, what in the world? You know, I won't endure that for very long without God's clearly defined purpose on my heart. I'll give up. I'll get angry. I'll, I'll enjoy the hate. I'll get into the hate. Right. The context of of Acts chapter 5 demonstrates this very principle. In our ministry towards others, we might get easily, very easily discouraged when people don't actually accept and receive Jesus very clearly. But But it was no different back in their day in biblical times, right? 
Peter and the other apostles were experiencing spiritual kickback in Acts chapter 5. Verse 28 re- resonates with our day as well. Leaders were ordering them not to teach in the name of, uh, teach about Jesus, teach in his name, right? They said, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Referring to Jesus. <clears throat> Doesn't it feel like we are living that right now? That we're being told the same in our culture, that the, the name of Jesus isn't welcome among leaders and preservers of culture, right? Purveyors of culture. Plainly, pop culture doesn't really, it's not really Jesus-friendly right now. And followers of Jesus need to prioritize our decision-making. And we need to align ourselves carefully to the conviction of only seeing God's favor, only seeking that in the world and not the favor of culture or other individuals, right? When we strive for acceptance and we strive for popularity in life and ministry, we often miss out on the blessing of God's providence. We bend, we accommodate, we compromise, and we water down the message, and we become spiritually impotent. We become just like all the other straw man spiritualities out there. Things that don't really do anything. They just make us happy. You know, sometimes people leave church. They leave church because they have to move away to career or school or something like that. And that's hard. We hate to see people go in our community, Right? Sometimes people leave for different reasons, and that's even harder. Sometimes they leave over preference. They don't like the worship. They don't like the pastor's style. Sometimes they leave uh, because the church wasn't what they expected or, or leadership didn't institute their preferences, do what they wanted them to do, right? And, and since it's all about them and what they like, it's not really about the greater purposes of God's glory and mission together as a church. They, they walk out the door. Now, I'm all for believers uh, finding a place which is a good fit, right? Uh, preference is not all evil. I like the way that Vinny and Mary lead worship here. I, I like this style. I mean, I, that's a preference to me. I like that. It's not all evil. I'm not saying that. But when preference trumps purpose, there is a big problem in church because we know the eternal always trumps the temporal, right? We've said that in past weeks. We know that gospel content is much more important than form, how we do things. Content is eternal. Form is changing. And right now we are seeing many churches sacrifice content for the sake of form. They really are. They are changing their message. They're, they're, they're getting rid of part of the gospel or part of the message of the gospel. They're changing the message while holding on dearly to a faded form of church. They will go to the way of the, of the dinosaurs. Give it time. It will happen. The writing is on the wall. Give it time because style always becomes antiquated. Whereas the content, let's say, of a good poem or a good song lyric, for instance, will last the test of time given solid content. So you can take some of the song lyrics and, you know, put them in a different format of music, like redo them, and it still holds up. 
after 20, 30 years. I, I did hear a Muzak version of Gin and Juice by Snoop Dogg. That didn't really work. You can't change that. That doesn't really work. That's a, that's a pretty specific style and lyric content. But I don't know. Anyway, um, but, you know, the, the gospel is important. The core of, of, of what we are is important. And so the question is, what gives God glory and furthers his mission in the world? Preference always comes second to that, right? It always does. To, to understand this one-verse response from Peter and the apostles, we need to know what, what prompted it. And we see that in verses 12 through 16. It says, the, the, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Now let me stop there and say that there's this weird mystique about them going on, this weird power that people are noticing. There's an extreme honor and respect, but there's also kind of like, wow, that's like free me out a little bit. I felt that with Jesus when I first started coming around. Some of you in here are feeling that this morning, I bet. I bet that some of you are thinking, oh my gosh, this is kind of spooky stuff. But I'm strangely drawn into it, right? My, it scares the crap out of me, but I want it. I want Jesus. I want, I want this love. I want this passion, right? And that's what's happening here in this passage. And verse 15, it says, as a result, people uh, brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. And verse 16, crowds gathered also from the towns of Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. So there is a great work of God, a miraculous work of God going on here among the masses, right? And I believe this stuff happens now. And, the, and, the, and this whole chapter is about Christians doing king, God's kingdom work, God's way, and the importance of our integrity in that, how we do it, right? The apostles are portrayed in a positive light in this passage. They're doing it well despite the trouble that it brings to them. They don't give up. They keep, they keep going. Now, if you go back to the beginning of the chapter with Ananias and Sapphira, you find out, well, they're not portrayed in a very positive light. They're actually in a negative light since they were reacting out of greed. They weren't really about God's glory and God's mission, but they were in it for themselves. You can go read that on your own, verses 1 through 11 sometime. But verses 12 through 16 describe God's miraculous work and many people commit their lives to, to following Jesus. And yet the religious leaders there who chose a different path were resistant and they were antagonistic towards the apostles and they had them imprisoned as we see in verses 17 and 18. However, then in verses 19 and 20, we also see that God honors their obedience to their central calling, and he miraculously sets, sets the apostles free from jail to continue their ministry out there among the people. It says this, Then the high priest and all the associates were, who were uh, members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy because people were responding to the, the apostles, right? And they arrested the apostles and they threw them in the public jail. Clink, right? But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out and said, go stand in the courts and tell all the people about this new life in Christ, right? Go tell them all about Jesus. Keep, keep doing it, right? So the question for us is, where are you going, Nate? <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I know, I know Nate. 
We have breakfast every week. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> I think he wet his pants. He's not coming back. <laughs> Sometimes people leave because the pastor puts them on the spot. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so the question is, do we choose? <laughs> I just couldn't resist that. That was terrible. Do we choose the path of obedience over cultural norms or popularity, even at the cost of ourselves, or cost to ourselves, right? Do we choose the path of obedience over top of the cultural norms that we're swimming in or the popularity of people that we're around? I love Jesus enough to be, look like a jerk sometimes, Right? And here are some points to think on or some questions to consider. Firstly, one, when God's clearly at work, believers should expect that there are going to be various responses because of the spiritual blindness of humankind, right? It's just the, the fact. The crowds appreciated the, the signs that many were healed, they were renewed, they were made whole, yet the religious leaders remained blind to Christ. You know, when our community groups are out there interacting with people through our community partnerships, those crowds that we're interacting with are full of very complicated people from various backgrounds, various viewpoints, and even sometimes differing worldviews. They may have moved here from another country with a very different worldview. And at times, those people will respond very positively to the message of Jesus from us. I said in one recent sermon that we often assume that people are antagonistic toward the gospel or, or, or a simple invite to church. But, however, statistics show that 50% of Americans are still curious. They're still open to an invite. That in the right moment, they would engage with you in the conversation of who Jesus is. But we often make the mistake of thinking people are closed or hostile to Christ or to Christians. It's not always true. The point is, we don't know until we take a risk, (laughs) right? Risk. We don't know until we take a risk. We don't know until we pray for them. We don't know until we bring it up. We don't know until we share something going on in our life, until we get a little vulnerable with people. Now, there are others that operate in the, in the community around us that are, that are operated out of a void of anything Christian, right? They, they're, they're not antagonistic at all because they've never, ever experienced the church or anything about it. And that's a crowd that is growing in America right now as we enter into the first unchurched age of America. People that just don't know jack about the church, right? Now, others are operating out of a very real or perceived Um, hurt by the church or misinformation about the church. And that is churning up anger, which they express very freely. And we get that. I get that, right? I've experienced those people. I've had great conversations with them. They are not the enemy, right? They are not the enemy. They're simply, they might simply be misinformed about something or they might need emotional healing. They might need actually the love on them for quite a while before they're even willing to walk through the door. Or they're just trapped in something. Can't blame somebody for being trapped in something, right? Someone said to me this week that they thought the church was angry and bitter until they started showing up here and then they read the Gospel of Mark and they saw a very different reality. These people are actually nice and this message is actually full of life. 
It's a very different message than what they say we are about out there. If you've been here long enough, you know this is a good place to be. In every encounter I have, in every single encounter I I have, I want people to walk away feeling at least more love than they did before they met me and hopefully to have heard and seen uh, at least a part of the gospel in my life or in my words. I'm usually not expecting somebody to make some giant leap of faith to Jesus. I'm not expecting that. But I do want to chip away at the wall, right? I want to take a little little baby step. I want to get them a little bit closer to Jesus through my words and my witness, which is really my second point. In Acts 5, we are faced with the responses of various individuals out there that, uh, in relationship to Jesus, acceptance and gratitude and jealousy and antagonism and fear and pride and all these different emotions, right? And when you, when you share the gospel, when you actually go out and share the gospel, what do you expect from people? What do you expect? And what's the reaction that you mostly receive? Mine has been pretty good. Even from antagonistic people, it's been pretty good. I think our collective witness as a church along the Eastern Main Line has been anything from, from redeeming people's view of what the church is, actually making it better, or to seeing people actually come to faith in Christ. People that never thought that they would follow Jesus. And, you know, like a year ago, they were like, I never thought I would do that. Now they're walking with Jesus and they're reading their Bible and they're, they're being life to other people. We've, we've encountered actually very little antagonism from people. Thirdly, obedience to God is always better than capitulation. Obedience to God is always better than capitulation. And actually, people actually respect a person with a strong conviction, even if they may disagree with them, as long as that disagreement is expressed with respect and love and humility. God's purpose must take the place of priority over and above everything else in our lives. Yet to do that, we have to to do that with all respect and all humility with people, as it states in 1 Peter 3. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. So it starts with us revering Him first. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks asks you to give the, the reason for the hope that you have. Be ready for that. Look for the opportunities. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than rather than for doing evil. Right? Amen. And Peter and his friends practiced what we preached uh, last week, that they didn't get derailed by all the distractions, right? And when they were brought back into jail the second time, and, and they, did, they went without complaint, and they spoke very plainly and very openly and very respectfully about Christ, as 1 Peter 3 directs them. And in doing so, they also reflect chapter 4, verse 11, where it says, if anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. Because remember, we are the church and we do have the words of God. Nobody else does. Nobody else does. It's only in in the Bible. We have the very words of God. 
If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever and amen. Be confident that you have the very words of God. Now there are truths out there with a small t, but we have truth with a large capital T. Actually, all of them are capital. Truth, you know, brr, right? That's what we have. Fourthly, Acts 5 is a reminder that God often delivers his people in difficult times in order that they might continue to proclaim his goodness among the nations. As the story goes, you remember, he, he, the, the angel opened up the cage and said, go out there and tell them more about Jesus, right? Just go out and get, tell them this message of the new life. So not only does God liberate, but he also empowers us for the work of ministry leading to his glory and, and, and which builds into his purpose, Right? We so often worry so much about what people are going to think about us. <laughs> I do, I do. Or what might happen to us? Oh, I could lose my job, right? Especially career-wise, we worry about that, if we should be bold in our faith. And to be honest, something might happen. You might get fired. Amen. Amen. Get fired for Jesus. God bless you if you do, right? Because Vinny will let you live with him and he will pay all your bills because he he's just like that he's just a really sweet guy um mary will make spaghetti like you wouldn't believe and no i'm just kidding (laughs) but something negative might happen to you but god is alive god is alive He will not let you live a shattered life. He doesn't use his people up. He's not a bad manager. You know, he doesn't use his people up and throw them out and just, ah, I got another one over here anyway. That's not what he does. He cares for us. He leads us to greater opportunity. You lose that job, there's something else going to come along. Have faith. Have faith. I'm not saying it's not going to be hard. It It will be hard, but with greater purpose, in your heart, you can endure it. You can endure it. Moses taught us to make godly decisions in relation to our purpose. Nehemiah taught us not to be derailed from all the distractions in our purpose. And Peter and the apostles here teach us the importance of obedience to God through uh, above anything else in our purpose. Not to compromise. And here's a few parting thoughts and questions. Number one, God's work must take priority over popularity with people. It has to. In what ways, so here's a question, what ways do you have, do you show a proclivity towards people-pleasing rather than to God-pleasing? Number two, obedience to God's purpose comes at a personal cost sometimes. Are you willing to pay that personal price in order that you may demonstrate obedience to God in your life? Number three, what ways can you testify, like they did in Acts 5, that God's power is at work in your life, that His saving power is actually doing something in your life and ministry? You know, you might not see that if you don't take the risks in ministry. You got to give them a chance, right? Number four, are you bold in obedience as a witness to Jesus? Have you been bold to share your faith with somebody? Are there opportunities that you're just kind of shoving to the side? Number five, who's God brought into your life to whom you might share that gospel with? 
Who's there? Who's right in front of you? List a few people in your head, right, uh, that you could witness to right now. Continue uh, to, to seek ways to bless them in very practical ways. Use the all things rise postcard. This is a really simple, this is why we print it up. Use it. Don't just like leave it on your chair, which many people do. Don't just leave it there. Take it with you. Mail it out. Hand it to people. Say, I would really love for you to come to hear the gospel. I think it is the answer to all life. I, if, you, if you hate me for this, God bless you. You don't have to come. But I would love for you to hear this. Just hand it to somebody, right? And number six, what's your response to opposition to being a witness for Christ? What would be your response? Would you demonstrate the same attitude displayed by the apostles in Acts 5? Would you just keep going, right? Your homework is, the homework, Jason, right? Your homework is go home, read Acts chapter 5, meditate on it, and ask the Holy Spirit to unpack your life. Unpack your life. Bring, ask Him to bring people to mind whom you might witness to for God's glory and God's purpose. And in that, ask Him for boldness. I know you might be scared to do that. Ask Him to give you boldness, right? And remember a few things. I want you to remember things. First of all, you do not have to share everything in one conversation. That's not the point. You don't have to get through every little like detail of the gospel. You just share one little thing. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak through you. That is promised in Scripture. Ask Him to give you the words to speak through you. He will. He will. Just move the conversation to the idea of Christ's love for them. That's, that's enough right there. And pray for them on the spot. You can do that. Somebody's telling you a story and it seems hard. Pray for them. Out loud. Say, I want to pray for you right now. Can I put my hand on your shoulder? I want to pray for you. And just pray for them on the spot. Invite them to church, right? Invite them to church. And then lastly, share what God has been doing in your life. Share with other people. You know, don't reserve your Christianity, your Christian demeanor for other Christians. Do you know what I mean by that? Be a Christian wherever you are. If you're excited about what Jesus is doing in your life, then everybody should hear that not just the Christians. Tell your neighbor when you're out like picking up the newspaper, hey, dude, my, my, my church prayed for me and this happened. Uh, the, the prayer ministry come, came up and gave this word and holy smokes, it just pounded my heart. It was incredible. I really think the Holy Spirit's trying to say something to me. See, no one can argue your experience. They can't say, you're a jerk for telling me that. It's their, your experience. They cannot argue that. It's the one thing they cannot argue is your testimony. It's yours. You own it. It's your story. They can't argue that. Take the time to do it. (laughs) I know for some of you that is very, very scary. Just pray that the Holy Spirit would eradicate the fear in your heart. And I'm going to shut up. Father, we thank you. This is, uh, it was a fun sermon to give, Father. It was fun. I, I, I want this to be fun. I, I want this to be uh, uplifting, not, not heavy. You are life. You are wonderful. You are healing. You, you rise above the church with healing in your wings. You are the person that brings light into our life. You are, you are the salvation of the world. You, you rose from the dead. 
You got out of the, the grave. You walked out. Thank you. Fill us with that. Fill us with that joy. Fill us with that passion. Fill us with that desire for your, your glory and your purpose in the world. Make us be people that, that people are weirdly respectful of, but really weirdly attracted to as well as far as the message that we bear.